Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Montreal is known for a lot of things, probably a lot of good things, maybe some bad things. We're also going to dismiss the kids. I'm getting um, like airplane hand signals from the back here. Sorry, children. Um, So the kids are dismissed to go with Abby and Ben George this morning, and they'll come back and join us in a bit. And so, uh, but anyways, Montreal's known for a lot of things, right? Montreal's known for, for poutine and for smoked meat, and now you're probably hungry. Uh, Montreal's known for hockey, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, It's amazing how quickly people here are like, yay, the Canadians, and they're like, oh, they're bums, like they're awful, like it's amazing, it's quick, right? Um, But Montreal's also known for potholes, and we all know this, and you've all probably had your own experience with potholes. I I got a flat tire on my bike one time because I hit a pothole. You feel them on the bus, you feel them in your car, it's awful, right? We've all had the experience, um, the privilege of experiencing this uh, in life. And so what they do is they come by and they, they often they try to fix them. And you'll see the guys out there with their shovels and kind of shoveling some, some asphalt into the, into the hole and filling it, and, you know, and, the, and they do that. But really, it's a temporary fix, usually. And I, I don't know much about roads and paving, but usually it's a temporary fix because often what needs to happen is the road itself needs to be like ripped up and the, the, the under the road needs to be more secure and all that and then it's to be repaved and redone. What's happening is they're trying to fix something on the surface when the real issue is underneath the road, underneath the street, okay? We do this in our lives as well. We try to fix surface issues. We try to fix ourselves by just doing more, by saying, okay, I've got to do more, work harder, be better. I need to improve myself, all of these things. And we say, I need to fix these things that are on the surface, but the real issue is underneath. The real issue is in our heart. That's the main point that I want us to hear this morning, that following Jesus is an issue of the heart. It's not a surface issue. It's not just self-improvement. Following Jesus is an issue of the heart. And so we're continuing our series called Follow Jesus as we study through the book of Mark um, and and continue that this morning. And I want to encourage you to be reading along with us during the week. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back of the room here. Um, Back on the back table, we have a few more of just the individual gospel of Mark. We have some some reading guides that kind of say, hey, this week, read this chapter. We encourage you to read along with us. Right? And in, in, in our community groups and in our discipleship groups, many of us are also continuing through the book of Mark because we want to be going through this book together as we're learning to see what does it mean to follow Jesus. And one of the reasons that Mark, the book of Mark was written was to teach us what discipleship is and what it means to follow Jesus. So we say, okay, what is discipleship? Right? At Renaissance, we talk about it. The discipleship is following Jesus while equipping one another to do the same. And you kind of peel that back a little bit. It's about heart transformation. It's about our hearts and lives changing to look more like Jesus. And we're passionate about this. We want everything we do to pull towards that one goal of all of us growing in our lives to be more like Jesus. Not from our own strength, but through his work in our lives. And so 
Let's jump in together this morning into the book of Mark in chapter 7 and see uh, what Jesus is talking about this morning. And so what we're going to see today is that Jesus is mainly interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees. And these were like the religious leaders, uh, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And these guys were super religious. Their whole goal was to attempt to keep the religious laws And they saw that as, that's the way I get to God. Their path to God, their path to holiness was keeping the laws. And Jesus, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus over and over and over again clashes with these guys. Now, I am partially colorblind. Um, I'm not like completely colorblind, just a little bit. But I'm colorblind enough that often if I like get dressed to go somewhere, I have to go say, hey, Abby, is this okay? Does this clash? Am I good? And sometimes she's like, you can't wear those two things together. It doesn't work. It clashes, right? Usually I stick to the basics, you know, like solid colors. I'm all good, right? But Jesus, you know, this, this idea of like clashing colors and clothes, when you look at Jesus with the Pharisees, he often clashed. Because their whole life was about how can I make myself better in keeping the law. And Jesus, his whole message was, you can't, but I can. And as Jesus interacts with these guys, we see this ongoing theme of religion versus the issues of the heart in their interactions. So in general, Mark chapter 7, which we're going to read here in a moment, this chapter is showing us that the Pharisees worked hard to keep religious tradition and to maintain outward holiness. Yet Jesus challenges people to follow God's commandments and pursue inward holiness by dealing with the issues of the heart. We've got two separate things here, this outward external work and what Jesus is saying it needs to be in the heart. And so my two main points today we'll see are missing the point and the heart issue. We'll see how the Pharisees in all that they were doing, they were missing the point. And yet we look at what Jesus is doing and Jesus is talking about the heart issue because following Jesus is an issue of the heart. So as we read this together this morning, there's going to be a couple things that may seem confusing, but I will explain them, explain as we go. Okay? C'est bon? Good? Here we go. All right, so Mark chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 23. Um, uh, If you have a Bible, you're free to grab one from the back corner there, or it'll be on the screen as well. So Mark chapter 7. It says this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me me is Corban, that is, given to God. I'll explain that. It's odd. I'll explain it. Um, Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. 
thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So a lot there. We're going to unpack that, and we're going to get to that this morning as we talk about the missing the point and the heart issue. So the first point here, missing the point. First point, missing the point. All right? Verses 1 through 13. So really the first half of this. And we're going to kind of explain as we go through it. What's happening is the Pharisees and the scribes are watching Jesus and his followers, and they notice that the disciples were eating without washing their hands. The hand-washing situation here wasn't like a mom saying, hey, go wash up for dinner, right? Um, it was more of a religious ritual cleansing. And verse three, verses 3 and 4 explain this because it says, um, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they wash their hands properly. That's the tradition of the elders. They come from the marketplace. They wash before they eat. And it says they've got all these customs for the way they wash their, their drinking vessels and their cooking pots and their dining couches. I'm not sure what a dining couch is, but that sounds great. You can kind of just relax, kick back, and eat, right? Um, so we tell our kids not to eat on the couch, so I'm not sure. But they had all these rituals that had to do with the religious ceremony and cleansing. And so the Pharisees say they come without washing properly. And it's this idea of this ceremonial washing. And the washing was a symbol of holiness and an outward picture of cleansing. But really, there's a sense here of arrogance. Because you read it, and what it says, when they come from the marketplace, it's this idea like, I've got to wash because I've been around those people. Right? I've been in the marketplace. I don't know what I've come in contact with. I don't know if there were people there who were unclean. At this time, for them being Jewish and, and anyone who was not Jewish was a very, very big deal for their, their holiness and their cleanliness. And so maybe they're, market, they're at the marketplace. They're like, I could have bought a tomato from a guy who was not Jewish or a guy who was unclean. I've got to get away from those people. I need to wash myself. They wanted to wash off all possibility of uncleanness, of possibly having interacted with someone who was not Jewish. They're kind of like religious germaphobes, right? Constantly using their spiritual germex to to keep the germs away, right? If you ever ride the, when you ride the metro, you know the feeling. Like when you get home, you're like, I just need to wash my hands. I don't know why, I just need to wash my hands because the metro is disgusting, right? That's how they viewed it. They're like, okay, I was out there, I'm here, I need this ceremonial washing because I have to make sure that I'm okay, that I'm ritually clean. They had all kinds of traditions like this. And all of these things were based off of laws and customs from the Old Testament, but they had added to them over generations and generations. They had added to them. They had complicated them. They'd say, oh, you got to do this, and you got to do this. You got to do it this right way, and you can't do it that way, and you have to do it just right so that you are ceremonially clean. And the the leaders here, they wanted to know why. 
why Jesus and his followers were not keeping up with these customs. It was absolutely crazy to them, and it was a big deal to them. Like, how can you do this? You are going against the religion that we follow. You are going against the traditions that we've followed for generations. How could these people possibly eat with, I love the, it's a really strong phrase, defiled hands. Like, it's really, really uh, in your face and strong. So they're questioning this. And Jesus doesn't answer, hey guys, a good question, let's talk about it. He says right away, he says, Jesus rebukes their hypocrisy. And Jesus says in verse, in verse, uh, verse 6, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, right? Jesus is right to the point here. He's very direct, and we've got to notice that. He clashes with this guys, these guys because they're missing the point. Jesus mentions Isaiah. It was a prophecy from the Old Testament, and he says, remember that guy Isaiah that you guys all know so well, you've read everything? He was exactly right about you guys because he says you're missing the point, and your so-called worship of God is not authentic. He says, you honor me with your lips, you say all the right things, you do all the right things externally, but your heart is far from me. Your holiness and your religious living are external. It's just on the outside. You're missing the points. Your worship is in vain. It's pointless because all it is is man-made traditions. And Jesus is, is just being very direct with them. He says, you're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he says this again in verse 8. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He's saying, you are declaring to everyone that these things that are made up by humans are equal with what God says. And Jesus says, it's not true. These traditions these, these things of man-made things are not equal with the commandments of God. This is how they were missing the point. They put more emphasis on man-made laws and religious systems than on the point of the law, which was, we see in other parts of the Gospels, the whole point, what Jesus said, was to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. He says, you guys are missing it because that's what the law is for, to point us to God that we love him, and that we love the people around us. Following the traditions of men rather than the heart of the gospel has greatly impacted the modern church as well, all throughout history, really. That when churches, even us, we have to guard against this, when churches add traditions and culture, you got to do this, you got to dress like this, you can't do this, you got to do this. When these things get added on top of what it means to follow Jesus, we end up following man-made traditions and cultures instead of the commandments of God. This happened historically in this province where the church set itself up and began adding all kinds of things. You got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. It happens in all kinds of places in the world. We have to guard against it here. You may even have had experience with this in your life, of being a part of a church that all of a sudden said, well, yes, Jesus, love and follow Jesus, but you need to make sure you do this. You need to make sure you do this. You need to make sure you do this. Because if you don't, you're not really following Jesus. This has nothing to do with as we follow Jesus, we should be loving him more, growing in our faith, becoming more and more like him. But when we start adding on, well, you have to dress this way, and you can't do that, and you shouldn't go there, we 
add on man-made rules. We must cling to the simple gospel that God has sent his son Jesus to rescue sinners, you and I. We only get to God through Jesus by putting our faith in him. There is no other way. We can't earn it. It's not by external holiness, but by changed hearts. We have to guard ourselves against missing the point. We must not add to this, and we can't take away from it. And we don't need to, because it is a glorious and beautiful thing that the God of the universe has loved us enough to send his son to rescue us out of our sin. This is a life-changing truth. And that's where we put our energy. That's where we put our focus rather than missing the point by getting caught up in all kinds of other things. And Jesus himself goes on in this scripture to illustrate this. He gives us our illustration today. Verses 9 through 13, he shows us a way. He says, your hearts are far from me, and let me show you a way that you're doing this. He tells these Pharisees, let me show you a really practical way that you're doing this, right? that you're holding to your own traditions rather than God's commandments. And he says, the law of Moses says, honor your father and mother and care for them and don't revile, revile them, don't hate them, don't be harsh against them. And if you do that, there's consequences, consequences against this. He says, you'll surely die if you don't obey this commandment. And so the, the religious leaders, they knew this law. It was very clear from the Old Testament, honor your father and mother. And in this scenario, what they're talking about is when your father and mother are old and unable to care for themselves, Part of honoring them is that you care for them, you provide for them, you love them, you serve them. But here's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were doing. Jesus talks about this practice called Corbin, right? I know it sounds like a guy's name from like a reality TV show, but it's not, right? It's, it's this idea, this practice of Corbin, I don't know why, where it gets its name, was a practice of dedicating money to the temple upon a person's death. So it's like saying like, okay, I've got $100 here. I'm going to dedicate that to the temple. And when I die, the temple gets that money. So it's almost like this like retirement savings plan that goes to the temple, this whole practice. And so what they would do, that in, they, they, they had kind of inventus, invented this religious way to not care for their parents. They would take their money, they would make it as an offering to the temple that the temple would get when they died. And so when their parents needed something, they'd be like, yeah, sorry, mom, dad, I don't have it. I already gave it to the temple. I already did this. And so Jesus is illustrating here how they created their own loophole to actually do the opposite of what God wanted them to do, to love and care for their parents when they needed help. They were missing the point. And Jesus is showing the difference here. You've created this man-made tradition of giving offerings to the temple, and you think it's good. You think it's religious because, oh, you're giving to the church. You're giving to God. And yet what God says is, you're doing it just so you can get out of caring for your parents. The more important thing that I'm asking you to do. So what does this mean for us, this idea of missing the point? How can you and I, how can as a church, how can we guard against missing the point? There's two things I want to point out this morning. First of all, we must recognize the authority of God's word. Because God's word, the Bible, is the antidote to man-made religious traditions. Understanding that we have one authority, the scriptures. That we seek to live out what the Bible says rather than adding our own traditions and expectations of others on top of it. That we constantly, in all things, run back to the Bible to see what it means to follow Jesus. And when we don't know 
what to do. When we don't understand a situation, we run back and say, God, would you help us understand through your word? Because God's word is powerful. God's word shows us how to love and follow him. And it helps us strip away all the other stuff and get to the hearts of the issue of loving and following Jesus and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So we as a church and as individuals, God's word is highly valuable that we read scripture and we ask God to help us understand it. And sometimes we say, I don't understand it. And that's okay. But we say, God, help me understand your word because it helps me know how to follow you and how to stay centered on the things that are most important rather than just saying, well, I'm supposed to do this because someone says to do this. We say, God, what do you say? What's most important? So we recognize the authority of God's word. Secondly, how do we guard against missing the point? We pursue, we must pursue authentic worship. Jesus said, your hearts, your lips, you honor me with your lips, sorry, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Because a life of worship, I'm not just talking about music. I'm talking about are we living our lives to say, God, would you be honored? Can I put my attention on you? Can you be glorified through my life? Can you be noticed in me? A life of worship is not about what we look like on the outside. It's about our heart. Because for me and anyone in this room, the danger is that we can come on Sundays, we can sing the songs, we can do the things, and yet our hearts are far from the Lord. And people don't see it. But we know. And we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. We must pursue authentic worship. And so by the grace of Jesus, we pursue both our lips and our hearts near the Lord. That the way we live, the way we worship matches what's going on in our hearts. And we can't do that on our own, but it's by the work of Jesus in us. So ask yourself this morning, does the way that you live match what's going on in your heart? And I think eventually it will, right? We can fake it for a while, but eventually what's going on in our heart will come out of our lives and the way that we live. And the only way that those things match, the only way that we're honoring God with our lips and in our hearts is through the work of Jesus in our hearts, changing us, making us more like him. Because following Jesus is an issue of the heart. The Pharisees were missing the point. Let's go to point number two, the heart issue. This goes to verses 14 through 23. So in this section, Jesus is really continuing on the same theme. He's still addressing the external kind of like religious behavior of the Pharisees and scribes. And in verse 15, Jesus says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So Jesus is saying that like, the thing that makes us unclean is our heart, not what we eat. This is the main context here. He's talking about these Jewish religious laws that had to do with food and eating and like, like, like literally what goes into the body. And the Jews had many food laws, if you're familiar with that. They had kosher laws. You can't, many things. You don't eat pork. You don't eat different things. And you eat these things at different times. And so Jesus is like blowing their minds here by saying like, you could go eat a pork chop right now and it's not going to make you unclean because what makes you unclean is your heart. And that was mind-blowing to them. 
Because keeping the law, keeping the ceremonial laws, keeping the religious laws is what they thought made them clean. And the disciples hear this and they're kind of confused. And they need more explanation. And Jesus has to kind of spell it out for them, right? I'm kind of like that too. Do I often need things spelled out for me. You may be the same way, right? Um, but in verses 18 through 19, literally Jesus is explaining the digestive system. That's what it seems a little weird. He, he tells them, he's like, you guys don't get it, do you? He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, right? It seems kind of odd. He, I think he's being a little bit sarcastic here almost. He's almost like, come on guys, you know how it works, right? We all know how it works. Because the word expelled literally means goes into the latrine, right? And so Jesus is like messing with them in a sense. They're like, talking about these really important religious ceremonial laws, and Jesus is like, you guys know how your body works, right? So, not to be too, like, graphic, but if this had been, like, a texting conversation between Jesus and these people, Jesus would have used this emoji, right? He would have been like, hey, guys, you know how this works, right? This is how it all goes. But Jesus is making a point that our issue, our problem is not what we eat, it's not whether we ceremonially wash our hands or our cooking pot or our dining couch that makes us clean or unclean. Jesus says, listen, guys, food comes into your body, your body processes it, and then it goes away. This food, all this stuff that you're so concerned about, it's temporary because the issue is your heart. In verses 20 through 23, Jesus shows them that what defiles us, what makes us unclean, is the sin that comes out of us, that comes from our heart. And we see a whole list here, and it's kind of striking to see, because Jesus says, what comes, in verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue here of saying, it's not what you put in your body, it's the things, it's the way you're living and what's coming out of your life is what's making you unclean. And it's striking to see because here's the point, my heart and your heart is sinful. The Bible teaches that we are born in sin. We are born separated from God. We're not basically good and just need some improvement. We are sinful. The Bible even says spiritually dead, wicked enemies of God. And it's like, whoa, that doesn't seem very happy. But hang with me. We are sinful and condemned to judgment from God because of our sin. This is what the Bible teaches. This is not my opinion. And what Jesus is saying here is that these things come from within. And these are the things that, that defile us because we like, you and I like to justify our sin. Well, I did this because of that. I did this because they did that to me. We like to be the victim. We like to have a reason for why we do what we do. But the issue is our heart. And of course, trust me, I know, there are, things, there are things that happen to you and happen to us that are awful things, that we are victims in many, many ways. But at the very same time, we must wrestle with the reality 
that our own heart is sinful and in need of redemption by Jesus. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we see this again in a different way. And the scripture says this. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the devil? No, by his own desire. Look at that. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by the internet? No. By jealous friends? No. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We have to recognize that my heart and your heart is sinful. And on our own, we are separated from God. And that holiness and doing what God wants is not just about cleaning up our lives. It is a heart issue. As I was thinking about how to like kind of bring this to life and illustrate this and help us remember this, right? It's part of preaching. I want us, these things to stick in our minds. I, can't really, I didn't really think of anything. I think Jesus did a great job. So here's your reminder again of what this, this whole point is, right? That it's not about what goes in. It's not about outside things that are making us do bad things or whatever. It is about dealing with the issue of our heart. So what does all of this mean for you and I? It means this, that our heart issue, our heart problem is serious. Sin, which to define that is doing anything that goes against what God has commanded, sin separates you from God. Now, if you're in the room this morning, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then this was your story, that your sin separated you from God. But through Jesus, you have been forgiven and brought into relationship with God, brought near to God. But if you are in this room this morning and you have never come to the point where you said, Jesus, would you take my life? Would you forgive me of my sin and I surrender myself to you? Then this is your story that your sin separates you from God and your heart issue is serious. Because you cannot earn your way to God. You can't do enough good stuff to please God in your own strength. And apart from forgiveness and the work of Jesus in your heart, you will remain separated from God for eternity. This is the truth that God's word teaches. And it's the seriousness of a life apart from God that our sin separates us from him. I was reading in a devotion this week this guy named Andrew Murray who lived a long, long time ago. And he said that this quote just like stood out to me as I was thinking about this. He said, all the sin in earth and hell could not harm me were it not for its presence in my own heart. That our problem is not just like this, some evil thing floating around. Our problem is our sinful hearts. We're born into sin. And then as we grow and learn and become adults and all these things, we choose sin. We choose to run from God, to rebel from God, and our sin separates us from God. And it's bad news, and it's serious, and it is the stuff, the sin that comes out of our hearts and lives that makes us unclean before God. We can try to mask it. We can try to hide it. We can try to cover it up. We can try to make ourselves look good, even religious and Christian, yet our heart is the issue. In all of this, there's good news. Because in the same way that sin begins on our hearts, so does holiness. 
That's point number two here. Holiness begins in the heart. Because in order to follow Jesus, in order to be a Christian, you and I need a new heart. For many people in this room, that's your story. That Jesus has taken your cold, dead, spiritually dead heart, right? And replaced it with one that's alive to him. He has made you new. He has forgiven your sin. We need a new heart. And it's only Jesus that can create this kind of change. Because the message of Jesus, the gospel as we say, is this. We've already said it this morning, that our sin separates us from God. And because of our sin, we deserve punishment. We deserve death. We deserve eternal judgment. But God, because of his love for us, didn't leave us as we were. He sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus came. He stepped out of heaven, became human like you and I. Jesus, born of a virgin, born sinless, and lived a sinless life. And Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one, was willing to die on the cross for our sin, to take my sin and your sin upon himself, to pay for our sin, to make us right with God. And Jesus rose from the dead, fully conquering sin and death, so that anyone, anyone who comes to Jesus in faith and says, I cannot save myself, but Jesus, because you are perfect, because you are holy, I put my trust in you that you will forgive me, that you will make my heart new, that you will make me right with God. And in that moment, our heart becomes holy. We become alive to God. We are a new creation. We come into relationship with God. And it's that change in our hearts that changes us from being separated from God to being in relationship with him. It's that holiness that begins in our heart through the work of Jesus in us because following Jesus is an issue of the heart.